Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with our host, Lou Weiss, who is the president of All Metals and Forge Group, the sponsor for Manufacturing Talk Radio. If you're looking for open die forgings or seamless rolled rings, we encourage you to go to steelforge.com and check out that website. There's also a ton of additional industry information there and a place to sign up for Manufacturing Outlook, the e-zine that's published every month. Today, we're going to be talking with Brian Reed, who is going to be speaking to us about mergers and acquisitions particularly in manufacturing, which ought to be a pretty hot topic in 2021. Yeah, I've been uh, doing some uh, research on this uh, as of recent, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there saying, I'm done, I've had enough, uh, I, can't, I, can't eat, I can't eat more, drink good, wear good, drive good, so I want out, I want to take the chips off the table, and uh, I think that's what uh, might be going on, and or the fact that people are frustrated with what's going on, uh, you know, uh, politically, uh, virus-wise, and so on and so forth. But we're going to find out more more of that from uh, our guest today, and uh, Brian Reed uh, from Weaver. Uh, at, uh, it's... It's it's actually Weaver and Tidwell LLP uh, is the legal name. So, okay. <laughs> thank you, thank you for the correction. We'll go over that later so people can get more of that information from you. So, Tim, why don't you uh, lead off and uh, let's find out what's happening in M and A. Well, Brian, we're excited to talk to you because, uh, as Lou mentioned, the gray hairs are trying to figure out what do they do with their manufacturing company that they have spent their life building and you know the the option may not be there to hand it off to the next generation and shutting it down isn't a real good feel so the other choices are merge with somebody and sashay out or sell it let it be acquired what's happening in that realm right uh i think you have uh, a lot of different things that are occurring, um, as uh, Lou alluded to earlier. Um, I think you've got some fatigue. Uh, you've got some people that are also realizing that um, that there's potentially the opportunity to bring in a partner. Uh, you know, they've done this and they've tried to get got through maybe the 2008. Uh, time frame and you know in order to grow and take advantage of sort of opportunities in the future um, and also sort of alleviate some of the the strains on a cash flow perspective they may have uh, been you know doing a recapitalization where they bring in a private equity partner or some sort of strategic partner whoever it may be in terms of facilitating uh, getting them additional capital growth capital uh, whatever it is. So I think there's a lot, a multitude of reasons um, that you're seeing uh, a boom. Uh, and certainly uh, some of those are around the uncertainty is uh, the political aspects, the 
tax aspects, um, you, you know, depending on what happens, I, I think that they could be a very active year in 2021. Yes, I would certainly agree. Um, the only comment I would make on the political environment is that one guy or the other is getting in. In, in 2021, you're getting out probably, <laughs> or somebody is. <laughs> so, you know, just move forward. And, Brian, you have a very interesting comment because we chatted with you prior to the show, and you mentioned that 50% of companies lack the resources to sell less than $25 million in revenue in 2020. Can you uh, unpack that a little for us? Uh, sure. I think that maybe there's a, a little bit of confusion. I mean, when I mean resources, uh, a lot of times when we uh, are you know, doing the quality of earnings or due diligence as part of the process that we do, uh, which is you know analyzing the risks and looking at the company from an accounting perspective, um, what we find is there's a lot of times that the companies do not necessarily have the bandwidth, do not have uh, the ability to sort of go through a transaction, so they may be, you know, an owner's handling a lot of the the financial aspects as well as the selling aspects, and so you've got some constraints uh, around the ability to actually facilitate a transaction. So uh, a lot of times, what we are hired to do as part of that process is to come in and help them put together uh, the information from a financial perspective because they may not have the resources to do that. And there may be, you know, they run their business the way they've always run their business. It may be, you know, I look at the bank statement, I know what cash is coming in, I know how it's running, but that's not necessarily how an investor or a bank would want to look at it, right? So some of that means is what I mean by the constraints part is is just the the – back office aspect of it, of being able to facilitate a transaction. There's, you know, and now in today's world uh, can be quite burdensome on a, on a seller at times. Uh, you're right about that, Lou. I know, I know that you, you're talking about burden. Lou knows burden. <laughs> yeah, talking, talking about uh, – I'd like to go backwards a little bit. and uh, I'd like sure. to get into a little bit more depth because the the audience, I'd like the audience to hear uh, that they're not the only ones that's sitting on the fence saying, you know, should I get out, shouldn't I get out, should I get in, should I get out. Uh, I, I'd like to hear a little bit of how you uh, interact with these clients. And mm -hmm. one, are these clients coming to you or are you seeking them out? Or is it really, and I'll use your word, is it really a boom market? Uh, you said that about five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that uh, the audience would like to hear, is it a boom and is it time to get out? What determines, uh, you know, the get out mode? So I, I, I think yeah. I'd like to hear some of your input to them. So, um so uh, uh, that's a lot of questions in that in that in that. Uh, in I, that. You haven't yeah. listened to my shows. <laughs> <laughs> so let me uh, somebody unpack a little bit of some of this, and we'll take take one by one. So uh, the the way we interact with clients. Um, first of all, let me back up and talk about how clients may come to us. 
there, you know, there may be one of three ways. Um, they may have engaged somebody that's an intermediary, like an investment banker or somebody like that to help sort of market and create uh, or basically create a market for for their company. Um, so those individuals may say, come in, look at the thing, say, okay, in order to sort of maximize the price, reduce some of the risk in terms of identifying all the risk areas and adjustments uh, to put in our book that we're going to go to market with, they said, hey, look, you need to go find, we need to find somebody like Weaver that does the quality of earnings and can do help us with the sell side due diligence, which is basically, you know, uh, it is uh, complementing uh, their product, which is typically a sales document. Our information is is factual based. It's looking at historicals, looking at sort of the financial information. Are there any adjustments from a gap perspective, et cetera, that need to be uh, addressed or discussed that would be supplemental and supportive of their document? That's one way. Uh, another way that is also um, maybe it may be an internal client that you know is looking to do this, and uh, we can help with that process. Uh, and they're in terms of looking at them from you know just like the same process. You go in and you look at the risk and areas uh, to get to an adjusted EBITDA, which is generally the driver of uh, of the, the valuations that these companies sell under. Um, and then sometimes it is directly me, you know, out and when I actually went out and met the people uh, in a different world uh, that maybe people that I've interacted with at various conferences or, you know, were introduced to me by a contact of mine, whether it be another attorney or some other financial advisor or whoever it may be. So, um those are kind of the three main ways in which people get to me. So uh, in terms of interacting with the client, um, you know, we try to uh, not be intrusive in their, in their business. We realize and and recognize that they still have a business to run. Uh, So our approach is to try to pull the information. A lot of times these folks are running some sort of system that we have access to, uh, and we can go in and run the reports that we need so that it's less intrusive, less bothersome on them. Uh, and, and so we can put together our analysis and then spend a day or two uh, with them to kind of go through and at a granular level understand their business, understand sort of all the risk areas so that we can generate a report um, that highlights those areas um, or issues. Uh, and then, have, then once we do that, we have a discussion with them. So uh, in terms of the boom market, I, I think that maybe uh, what I mean by that is that I, there's a tremendous amount of activity uh, in the M&A space currently, whether that's driven by uncertainty, driven by exhaustion. As we talked about, uh, what you have seen is prices or valuations have – kind of really sort of maintained uh, their, you know, elevated levels are not sort of, you don't, what you're not seeing a lot of dips in terms of what people are generating uh, from a EBITDA, multiple of EBITDA perspective. So, uh, which is an interesting deal. You would have expected to see some pressure, uh, downward pressure on 
some of those. And I think what you have is if it's a good, well, it's a, it's a well-run company that's generating profitable uh, EBITDA, uh, which is earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and is amortization. It's basically a proxy for cash flow that people use in the generally sort of valuing these businesses on a in the M&A market. Um, if it is a good, well-run company with solid earnings, uh, they tend to the, the valuations and the opportunities in the marketplace are are probably uh, continue to be strong. Uh, I will say that in a couple of instances where we've recently done some uh, due diligence, um, you, you know, some of these manufacturers have shifted gears very quickly in the pandemic and uh, and generated whether they may made chemicals or whatever they made before quickly migrated and navigated into doing hand creating uh pp uh the mask or whatever and uh, as well as hand sanitizer some of that stuff obviously has to be normalized because you know a year from now two year and a half from now that probably will not be uh, uh a deal so or a uh, revenue stream so some of that stuff has to be sort of addressed and understood sort of what the normalized EBITDA looks like you know factoring out covid issues so now I gave you a lot of answers for a lot of questions, so we can <laughs> circle well, back. I'm going to try to see if I can come up with a longer question that, so we can divert from the longer <laughs> answer. <laughs> uh, I was just talking uh, this morning with a uh, major uh, publisher of an industrial uh, directory, uh, both digital and uh, print, and <clears throat> Uh, naturally, they're trying to sell advertising and such. So I asked them the question about uh, knowing that we're d- doing a show on uh, uh, M&A and manufacturing. What's what's his ex- uh, experience that he's uh, dealing with with his uh, his clients who he sells advertising to, and is he finding also that there's a lot of M&A talk? And uh, it's sort of an interesting answer, and part of it was that he claimed that 25% of his manufacturing customers have not felt one iota of strain as a result of COVID because they were declared as necessary products, uh, and they have, you know, some of them even wish that it goes on a little longer to, to milk to milk the cow a little bit further. Uh, but basically he said that there's about uh, 20% of who he talks to is uh, talking the uh, M&A talk. So that kind of uh, supports uh, you know, some of your comments in, in regards to your answer to me. Uh, so there is uh, a fairly active aging group uh, out there that uh, want to take the chips off the table. Yeah, I'm I mean, probably, which I'm probably one of. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think about just the general numbers, I mean, there's from my research and reading, I mean, there's about approximately two million business owners that are owned by baby boomers. Boomers uh, right. that you would expect. Uh, they're already retiring in record numbers at the end of 2019. Um, so, uh, y- you know, yeah, some of that has got to be in that 20%. Um, that, and a lot of this sort of boils down to, boils down to 
you know, how, do they have a successor? Do they have a succession plan? So when I see a lot of these, it's a lot of times there's nobody to take over the business. Or it's the third generation, third, fourth generation, and it's becoming very complicated from a family perspective in terms of operating the business. So that's not always the case, it's not, but it is you know, off, there is a lot of that that occurs. So um, I think you have, you know, sort of demographics playing some part in this, just sort of culminating at a, at a weird time. Uh, you combine that with the uncertainty, the fatigue, and the, and the fact that, you know, at some point they probably would like to retire or do something different or whatever it is, so... Well, it, it certainly is an interesting time, and I would think that many of the things that are going on that's disrupting the normal economic flow of, uh, of the U.S., I, I, I think that there's, uh, uh, and I'm seeing it and I'm hearing it, uh, about, you know, the, the M&A quote-unquote boom, uh, that people want to get done with it. You know, yeah. my, a, lot of my, a lot of my friends who have all bailed, uh, finally, after 40, 50 years of being in business and uh, laying out on their lanais in uh, Boca Raton. Uh, by the way, do you know, Tim, do you know what a lanais is? Well, i got to be honest with you, I don't know what it is. Well, lanais is basically a screened-in porch. And that's what we used to call it when I lived in Washington, D.C. But Florida, they call it a lanais. It's a porch on a cement slab, all screened in so the palmetto bugs don't get you. And uh, <laughs> and they sit back and they go, lamais, lamais. I'm sitting on my lamais. And uh, it's uh, it's very funny. So it's, it's a porch. Uh, but that's uh, you know that's where all my friends have uh, wound up, um, and uh, you know they, several of my friends have taken up French cooking and they walk the French poodle, and uh, they go bike riding and uh, uh, they tell me on the phone, hey why don't you get out of this racket already? And I said, but I'm having fun, <laughs> so I'm still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I could see the. Uh, I mean, I'm only 49, and I, I see the the appeal to that, especially. <laughs> uh, uh, you got a couple well, more decades to go. <laughs> I don't know. If I got another. <laughs> so far in my working life, I have been through the Great Recession and this. So. Uh, I'm not sure I could take another one of these. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, right. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's probably true. But I think that going forward, we're going to continue to see changes and alterations in our societal issues. Um, but that remains to be seen. Yeah, um, I mean so. So let give us a little insight into one of your biggest success stories. You don't no names necessary. Um. So I would say that that you know one of the biggest was a oilfield manufacturer. Um, this was a number of years ago. 
obviously not currently. Um, but, you, you know, we went in, there was some counting issues that had to be sort of addressed and explained. Um, and, you, you know, we were able to get through it a fairly quickly a quick time to put together an information uh, packet, uh, you, you know, work with the CFO of the company. This is on a sell side deal. Uh, to work with the company uh, to you, you know be able to articulate the the issues surrounding certain areas that were you know um, you know pr not problematic and adjustments that were a little confusing right so uh, from an accounting perspective and uh, then we were able to um, and this was uh, able to have a conversation with the the buy side so every time they do a transaction just as this background, uh, there's, you know, we will work on the sell side a lot of times uh, to put together the accounting help, you know, part of the process. And then the buy side always has an, a group that also comes in and does the exact same work. Uh, so we are kind of the front person to handle a lot of those questions and take the pressure off the CFO. So uh, in this case, we were able to get through all of that process in a very quick, I, I want to say it was almost like 60 days to get through this. And, you know, so part of they were able to quickly sell. You know, we identified all the risks. We identified sort of thing, and they didn't have any real sort of landmines that created problems and gave leverage to the buyer. Um, and that that, I mean, this was a little larger on on the terms. Um, it was a twenty-five million dollar EBITDA, but it ultimately was able to sell for you know north of five hundred million dollars. So uh, wow. and a very quick and a quick. Uh, fashion. So um, that one was probably, you know, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, but uh, maybe 18, 17, 18. But, um, you know, I think that as a, in terms of recent successes, that was certainly one that we were, it, it worked exactly like we always sort of play it out to be, right? So um, we were able to help them, be able to explain the, pro and basically, you know, alleviate uh, the buyer having the ability to retrade the deal, and we were able to close. They were able to close fairly quickly. So, well, I think you ought to at this point give us your uh, contact information for our our listeners, so that you can get uh, uh, the, the blank uh, contracts out to them easily. Uh, <laughs> so, why don't you give us your URL and email and all of that stuff? Uh, sure. Yeah. Obviously, Weaver and Weaver dot com is the the firm uh, email, um, and you can reach and it has all the information on the firm. Obviously, we're a traditional audit and tax firm, uh, and then if, specifically me and and I'm the partner in charge of the the transaction advisory services group, which is focusing on uh, quality of earnings and sell side and M and A transactions uh, in general. Uh, my email address, if you can reach me at, is Brian B R I A N dot Reed R E E D at Weaver dot com. And you're in uh, Texas. Do you uh, do you travel about the country? Uh, I did. Uh, uh, up until about March, we traveled uh, at least once or <laughs> twice a month. Uh, thing. Uh, for the for the for the since then most of our transactions uh so that's probably an important part uh point um you know a lot of times when we're doing this we're we go on site uh well we did 
uh, to go on site and, you know, spend time, spend a day or day and a half with the in-person so that we can, you know, talk through it. It's, it's just a better way to do some of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But in this world, we've, we've, we've been able to migrate to doing it all remotely. We have all the Microsoft Teams, Zoom, all the other stuff. Uh, I never even heard of Zoom until March, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so we have the ability to do all that stuff in term, uh, you know, online and be able to share screens and all that, but it's just not the same. So hopefully someday soon we'll be able to actually, we did a management meeting in person, um, on, on Monday, which was the first time we've done that since March. Did it feel novel? It felt a little weird because uh, one of the parties there was um, we were all spaced out and, you know, I sat in like a corner um, and they all were mat. We were required to all wear masks. So it's a little challenging to ask questions. Um, right. Uh, but you, you know, look, you got to fight through some of this stuff. Well, you got to do what you got to do. I'll try uh, Brian, I don't know if I heard, but I, it's important enough, I think, for you to reiterate if you mentioned it. I know you talked about a very large transaction, but mm-hmm. that's you handle more than that. And I know some of our listeners are going, ah, my company's too small for this. What's the lower end of your range for handling transactions? Yeah, no, I, I mean – there are a lot of companies that we handle. I mean, I would say that typically, you know, our average EBITDA is somewhere million, million and a half to $5 million um, is kind of where the range is in terms of what we typically do. If it gets right. much smaller than a million, then it's, then it's probably, uh, we're not probably the most effective process for this. Um, you, you know, what we're trying to do a lot of times is to go in the EBITDA from a sell side perspective uh, part of the process is to go in and identify areas that they may not be thinking of in terms of personal expenses, other things like that, to you know reasonably justify the the an EBITDA that is you, you know an actual operations because they may be oftentimes privately held businesses uh, have you know a number of expenses that aren't necessarily recurring in nature and they won't recur the, the meaning that the buyer is not going to continue with that expense mm-hmm. so right so right so well, uh, I would say typically a million to five a million in EBITDA to five million in EBITDA is kind of the range okay okay Good. I wanted to get that out there because I don't want someone to say, "Oh, we're too small," and and uh, they don't then know what to do. So uh, they can certainly get a hold of you at, at Weaver. Of course, and and you know a lot of times it's um, from especially if they're looking to sell and they need you know it's the it's not the twenty five fifty million dollar companies that that need the help right uh, to be able to put together information it's generally the true middle market companies that certainly have a need to have some some assistance from an accounting perspective to to help the thing to help them through this process so great well brian we appreciate you being with us here on manufacturing talk radio and thank you for sharing the information you have and when we post the show 
we'll let you know so that you can get the word out on social media. We welcome an article on this subject relating to manufacturing for our Manufacturing Outlook e-zine. For those interested in it, you can find it at manufacturingoutlook.com. So, uh, again, Brian, thank you for joining us. Absolutely, and, I, and it was my pleasure, and I certainly appreciate the opportunity. So, And I appreciate the compliment on my long questions. <laughs> no problem. And you and, and you handled it really well. Most of our guests go I'm, 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 I'm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You you fielded that like uh you, you, you belong you belong in the first string. So thank, <laughs> thank you. Thanks I again. <laughs> thanks for uh being on the show. If anything comes up uh, in the future that you uh, uh, something's happened, something changed, something good, something bad uh, in your world, uh, let us know. We'd love to have you back. Absolutely. I, well, I appreciate it, and uh, thank you all. Thank you. And we've been talking with Brian Reed, who is a financial partner with Weaver Advisory Services. You can find him in, in the beginning of the show. He gave us his real legal name. Check that out at weaver.com. And while you're surfing the web, stop in at jacketmediaco.com where you'll find links to this show, Manufacturing Talk Radio, the WAM podcast, Empowering Women in Manufacturing and Business, and great interviews there, Manufacturing with Cliff Waldman, who talks about manufacturing and the economy and why manufacturing matters. Lou and I know it's the driving force of the economy. Where's Willie, which is William Miller talking to us from wherever he happens to be at a production plant somewhere across the country. Full time with Amy Nicholas that speaks about that delicate work-life balance and hazard girls, women in non-traditional fields and career paths in industry. And as always, thank you for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.